we doing? We doing all right? That's really weak. Uh, so if you're joining us, everybody, and you're, you're just grateful to be in the house of the Lord today, you just know you're in your right mind. God's been gracious. Then just put your hands together and let him know you appreciate it. Yeah, that, that sounds much better. That sounds much better. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's it. Um, uh, thanks for being in the house today. We've got, we've got a word for you today. So, so look at your, your person sitting beside you. Don't touch them. Don't say nothing. Just say, just say, God's got a word for you. If you're at home, do the same thing, family. Come. Anybody around you, just say, or just text somebody. God's got a word for you. Go, come listen to me. God's got a word for you today. So I'm going to pray that God opens up your heart so that you can hear this word because it's not a, it's not a popular word. It's not one that everybody wants to listen to, but I do think it's one that our culture needs now. And our job is to speak into that culture. If you don't mind, I'm going to remind you of where we're coming from. Then after which, I will pray for us. Then we'll go into some new content and get to work for the glory of God. Is that all right, fam? Let me tell you, if you've not been here for a while, um, let me just keep you up to date as to where we are. We're in a series where we're taking aim at something that the culture is trying to influence most of our homes with. And they want us, the culture does, and it's easy to fall into it. The culture wants us to be fear-driven. The culture wants us to, to make all our decisions based on fear. And so the culture invites us to build a house based on fear. When you do that, then the question that you start asking, if you're not careful, is, is it safe? That's why the foundation of your house begins to be and ask the question, is it safe? And when you do that, what you really have done is you have erected four idols in your house without even knowing it. It's so subtle. Without even knowing it, four idols uh, are being erected simultaneously. So don't, don't look at the guys in the Old Testament when they build calves and worshiped cows and say, why would they ever do that? We do the same thing. We just now worship safety. We worship appearance. We care so much about how we look that we will go to all lengths, get into all form of debt just to look the part. You want your kids to look the part. You want your family to look the part. So you will spend every kind of money and borrow it to go look the part just to hide who you really are on the inside. And then what that determines is then after that, now you start caring more about money than you do about people. Why? Because people hurt you too much and it's not safe to be around people. So now you start saying, let me just pile up a bunch of money so that I can do my thing regardless of what they do. I don't need anybody. All I need is me and my money, material things. And then lastly, now you start controlling, trying to at least, control everybody around you. And you start to power up so you have more power than everybody else. And then you start to get lawyers around you. And you start to just power up so that if anybody messes with you, you are ready for any form of attack. Why? Because you've allowed these four idols to, to, to show up. And here's what these four idols do. They only produce more fear. That's all it is. And so, in our series, we have been trying to dismantle this house. That the culture wants us to build. That is why. Politically. Well, 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 if this person wins or if this person wins, then it's going to be more fear, 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 fear. And so, then it's a house divided again. Driven by fear. And if you're not careful, every facet of your life will be driven by, say the word with me, everybody, fear. Now, we, we, we argued in the last couple of sermons that, that fear is not an exclusively bad thing. Fear can be in the car. It just can't drive the car. Okay? So then we're going to suggest today, yesterday, last week we started, and we'll continue, that, that fear should not drive the life of the believer. What should drive the life of the believer is love. Now, uh, so now we're going to pray. Then I'm going to read a passage of Scripture. Pastor Matt's going to come back up, and he's going to build the right house that God wants us to, 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 to live um, and build, and then, and then we're going to get to work. So will you pray with me, and let's see if we can get to the Word of God today. Father, um, 
this is not popular, so, so it's easy to reject what's not popular because sometimes don't make us feel good. So um, will, you, will you open our hearts so that we can hear your word? Um, will you remove the distractions at home and in the building so that we can, we can hear from you? All we want is to hear from you. Remove me uh, so that they can hear you. Your voice in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Okay. Yeah, Pastor Matt, thanks. You can put that up. So, um, I will read a passage of scripture, but I know what's going to happen to you. I'm going to read it, but you've seen it so many times, you're going to think you know what it says, and you don't. So, I'm going to read it for you today, and you're going to read it for yourself. But when you read it this time, I don't want you to put your 21st century ideologies on the passage. I want you to read it like the disciples read it when Jesus said it to them. Which means I want you to lay what you think you know about this passage, because it's a popular one, and I want you to see it with fresh eyes for me today. So if you don't mind, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand. And we're going to read only two verses. Last week, you go, oh my gosh, make me stand up too long. So this week, only two verses. You're going to stand up the same amount of time, but it's only two verses. And then we're going to see what God (laughs) has to say to us on today. So if you don't mind, we're going to read John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. The two of the most powerful verses in all of the Bible. But don't treat it like it's one you have known for years. Because you'll miss the meaning. So why don't you stand with me? Let's see if we can put it together. And then we'll build a house. All right, we're going to read it in sections. So here we go. Get ready, get ready, get ready. He starts out with a new. Stop right there. See, I can't even get through it today. A new. New, 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 new. A new commandment. In other words, a, the word means a remarkable thing is about to happen. Or a, a extraordinarily unique thing is about to happen. You've never seen this before. You've never heard it before. This will blow every circuit in your brain is what is the idea behind this passage. Why? Because they had 10 commandments. Everybody knows that. 700 other commandments. 710. Jesus is now saying, I can sum up all them 710 in one. That should scare you, but it doesn't. He says, 710 commandments. I'm going to sum them all up into this new one. You should be asking Jesus for the 710 and take, asking him to take the one back. That's how you must honor the one that he's about to say in your hearing. He says, a new commandment. Hey, Pharisees, hey, everybody, this is what you're looking at. No, 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 no. All these 710, while they're important, this, if you get this one right, you get all of those right. So why would you think this would be anything that is easy? Why do you think that you should just be able to read it and say, oh, yeah, I do that. I got it. No, you don't. So come. Let's see what he says. He says, read it with me, everybody. Come on together. Uh, no, 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 no. Together with life. Let's read the word of God. All right. Here we go, everybody together. A new I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you. Stop right there. So he says, I'm going to give you a new commandment that will summarize all 710 commandments. Then he says, a new commandment I've given to you that you love one another. Here's the problem. The problem is you think he's talking about your love. The problem is you think he's talking about, hey, man, let's love each other in a brotherly way. Let's love each other in an eros way. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a love that you have never seen or have never been able to comprehend until now. The love Jesus is talking about, you have never seen it before. You can't even fully understand it before. And it is impossible for you to do it. Which is why you're going to need the spirit of the living God. Because you can't do this by yourself. He says... This love I'm talking about, um, when I ask you to do it, you're going to say yes, but it's going to be because you have never seen it and you think I'm talking about somebody else. You think I'm saying love them if they're easy to love. You think I'm saying love them after they have hurt you once, but they will never do it again, then love them. No, he's saying I want you to love them so much that they are your enemy and you are running toward them even though they hate you. He says, you ain't never seen this before, which is why you cannot do this by yourself, which is why most Christians never apply this verse. 
because you only apply it in your understanding based on how you have seen love in your family, in your house, or a song you don't listen to, but not the way God is saying that you should love. And he defines it for us by saying, watch it, he says, uh, even as I have loved you. In other words, he says, I have put some parameters around how you should love. I want you to love them like I love you. Let me tell you how I love you. You sinned today and I'm still running toward you. You were egregious to me today, even though you think you weren't, which makes you so arrogant that you think you didn't sin since you got up this morning, which makes you so arrogant. And even in the midst of that, I'm still running toward you. He says, what I want you to do, the world must see it and marvel at how I love you, even though you cuss me out every day and I'm still running toward you. He says, if you think you can do it, you are lying to yourself. This demands the Holy Ghost. That's why I need to send him so that he can empower you to do this. You can't do it by yourself. He says, I want to show you what this looks like because I want you to love them like I love you. Whenever you think your love has run out, look at what I've done for you and you will find out you can still go more. Now, since that's not, since you haven't gotten it yet, let me walk down your lane a little bit. So I want you to tee up your ex today. The one that don't want to pay child support. The one that's always late. (laughs) Your mother-in-law that get on your last nerve. Your wife that always wanted her way or your husband that always want to buy stuff he shouldn't be buying and get the whole family in debt. Your co-worker that despises you. Uh, Your sister that after mom's or dad's death, they don't talk to you no more because you got more money than them. Is there anybody in the house yet? He said, that's the one I want you to have up today because I'm going to talk to you about them. Because you think I said love them like you love. That's not what I said. So let's see what else he says. Oh, you're almost done. Don't worry. You're almost done. You almost get to sit down. Next verse. Watch this. He says, by this, when you love one another. By this, the number one sign that the world will know there is a God. is not when you run laps around the church and praise God. It's not when you speak in tongues. It's not when you put your hand out and say, yeah, God. It's not when you go, when you go spend time in prayer with Jesus. He says, it's when you deny yourself, die to yourself, and love your enemy like I love you. He says, that's how the world would marvel. That's how the world would say, oh, my God, I never knew this was humanly possible. It's not. But for the Holy Ghost living inside of you. I ain't done with you yet. Come on. He says what he says. By this, all men will know that you are my, say this phrase with me, everybody. My, two more times. My, last time. My, here's how you're going to know that you're his disciple. First of all, you're not his disciple unless you treasure him above all else. In other words, he's saying, for you to be my disciple, you must love like I loved you, which means you must be walking in the spirit, walking in love, and the world must know that you love me, God says, more than anything else, including your safety, which is why when fear drives you, the only thing that matters is safety, not, which is the question we should ask, what's right? Not what's safe first, what's right first, then What's safe? But what's right must always drive it. So he says, if you want to be a marching billboard for Jesus Christ, then show your co-workers that when they hate the person that everybody hates, you're still moving toward them in love. He says, if not, then shut up. Don't talk. You're just doing what they do. You're doing what everybody else do. There is nothing supernatural about your life. Nothing unless you can love them. That's God. 
Do you see why you want to ask him back for the 710 commandments? You don't want this one because this one summarizes all 10, which means you have to say no to yourself every day so you can say yes to God every single day. That's why he says a new commandment I give to you. That you might love one another. Let's finish it. If you have love for one another. You may be seated. That's enough. Y'all be like, ooh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Ghost. You want to thank you, Holy Ghost. All right, here we go. Now, the problem with this passage is where it was situated. See, you got to know what comes before it, and you got to know what comes after it to fully understand what Jesus is saying. He's talking to his 12, and he's telling his 12, hey, guys, I'm going to go. And when I leave, the way they're going to know that you are for me, that you knew me, that you walked with me, is if you love one another when it's extraordinarily hard to love. So now the question becomes, why don't we do this? Why is it so hard for us to do this? Three reasons. They're all in your notes. Second page. Here's what it says. Number one says, it's hard to do it because we've never seen it before. None of us here have seen this kind of love in our families, in our, between our moms and dads, between whoever raised us. We haven't seen it. So if you've never seen it, then how can you reproduce it? So it's really difficult because none of us have actually seen it in living color. Not this kind of love. Number two, second reason why this is so difficult is because our pain tolerance is so low. As Americans, our tolerance for pain is so low that when, somebody, when we try to love somebody, like, like, like God's asked us to love them, and if at the first or second time they don't love us back the way we want them to, then all of a sudden we're done. I tried. I did my best. I ain't been saved that long. <laughs> and you get on the path with all your excuses because you tried and they still jacked up. Well, what would have happened if Jesus said that about you? I've tried, Father, but they still jacked up. What would have said after 20 years of being a Christian? I've tried, Father, but they still jacked up. With the same major sin I saw them with 20 years ago, they keep repeating the same sin like they don't know no better. And you want me to keep loving them? Yes. Because his pain tolerance for your foolishness is high. The problem with Americans, the problem with most Christians, is that our pain tolerance is so low. But God didn't ask you to love them with your love. He asked you to love them with his love empowered by his Holy Ghost. Which means you got to die to pull off what he's calling you to do. The problem with most Christians is you want to raise up and say, I don't want to die. I want my way. And God says, you did it when I saved you. You depended on me completely for your salvation. Now I want you to do it when I'm working your salvation out in your daily walk with me. But what you want to do is say, God, I've tried enough and I'm done. I'm not willing to go a step further. Here's the problem. You don't even realize that you're walking in the flesh when you say that. You have, you have learned the art of justifying it because you don't have a high pain tolerance. Let me help you out, by the way. One more thing. I told you it wasn't going to like it. You better leave now because it only get worse. Um, here's the next piece. The next piece is that you got to realize most of, us, most of us think that God owes us something. Most of us think that we should, we should, nobody should in any way take advantage of us. Let me help you out. If you are born again Bible believer, somewhere in your life, somebody's going to take advantage. They are. Deal with the reality of the situation. It is your arrogance that believe that nobody should ever want to win one over you. It's part of the Christian life. They will. You should expect it so it doesn't surprise you when it happens. They will. Preach, Pastor. Preach. So in light of that, in light of that, number one is we've never seen it. Number two is problem or, or pain tolerance. That's why it's so hard to do. Because God, I've tried. I'm sick and tired. It's their turn to try. Let them try now. But he doesn't say that to you. He just loves you. And moves toward you. 
That's the kind of love he says, because that's called agape. It's not dependent upon your behavior. It's dependent upon his love. You want it to depend on your on their behavior. Well, if they do right, then maybe I love them. That's not the love he's talking about. I'm telling you, go ask him back for the 710 commandments and tell him, keep this one. Because the one is much more difficult to completely surrender to than the 710. But you think you got a deal because it's only one. Okay, here's the deal. You die to yourself, your ways, your agenda, so he can live through you. That's the Christian life. I know they didn't tell you that. They just wanted to walk down the aisle and say, I surrender all. But you lied. You only surrendered that day. You ain't surrendered since. Anyways, number three, third reason. Third reason why it's hard for us to live out this verse that says love one another. Which, by the way, is now driven by the word called, this is the house you're building. That's why most Christians don't do it. Here's the word, love. It should, you should be driven by this word, which therefore means you, should, you have to trust God, which therefore means you care more about the inside your heart than the outside, which means you care more about relationships than your money, which means you're submitted to God and to each other. But that's not popular, family. Nobody wants to do that. Because somebody sold you a bill of goods about Christianity. They said, you accept Jesus and everything's going to be okay with you. No, you accept Jesus and you're going to die so he might live through you. Your ways are no longer the main agenda. His ways are. Which means you have to daily die to yourself. Preach, Pastor Conway. Tell it to them. And yourself. So here's the number three. Number three says, if you're going to pull it off, then it's as if you need, here's what the, here's what the psychologists say has to happen if you're going to pull off the love in the flesh like God's called you to. Here's what they say. They say you must have the perfect amount of respect given to you as a child growing up. The perfect amount of acceptance, security, affection, support, approval, appreciation, attention given to you, the details of it. You must have the right amount of comfort, the right amount of love, the right amount of encouragement, and the right amount of inspiration. Since none of us is going to get all of that perfectly, now you know why you need Jesus, and now you know why you need to depend on the Spirit. But, but Jesus nestles these two verses in a context that I don't want you to miss. So now I want you to read the rest of John 13, starting at about verse 21. Now here's why this is important. He is saying these two verses in the context of Judas, the one who betrayed him. And he's saying, I'm going to do three things to appeal to Judas, and then I'm going to tell you all this passage. And I'm going to tell you all why you need to love one another. And I'm going to remove all your excuses because I'm going to do it in the context of the person that hates me and ultimately led to my death. That's the context in which I'm telling you, you have to love one another. Because that's how the world's going to know that you are my disciples. So he's going to do three things. First of all, he's going to wash his feet. He's going to wash Judas' feet. Now, if you know that this fool is going to betray you, sell you out for some little money, why the heck? When it, I don't know about you, but if I'm washing Judas' feet, I'll be like, all right, hey, Judas, what's up, bud? All right, bring me your feet. And I take a knife out, and I, I'm Jamaican, man, and I just cut, I'll cut that leg off. You ain't going to walk no more. You're going to hobble all around where you're going. Well, that would be in the flesh. <laughs> That would be in the flesh. So he says, hey, 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 let me take your nasty, crusty, dirty, you should have gone and get your feet done before you came to me, but let me wash them. This is the person he knows is going to betray him. This is the person he knows is going to stab him in the back, resulting in people spitting in his face, a spear in his side, nails in his hand, crown of thorns on his head. He knows this is where this man is going to lead him to. And he still washes his feet. He still says, in the midst of your betrayal, I love you. Are you kidding me? 
as if that wasn't enough, y'all. Then he decided that uh, I'm going to have a meal together, intimacy and fellowship. Then he decided, hey, I want my, the, the, the disciple that I love, John, on my right-hand side. Guess who's on the left-hand side? In the, the seat of honor. Judas. Couldn't you put Peter there, dog? Come on, Jesus. Put Peter there. Put, 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 Mark. put another one of your boys there. Judas? For him? Jesus, he could have taken a knife and just stabbed you and just killed you right there. Judas? Place of honor. Left-hand side, right there, Judas. If it was one of y'all. Yeah, yeah, I want him close. Mm-hmm. After what you're going to do, I know what you're going to do. I'm going to kill you before you kill me. Now, Jesus. Then number three, he gets, he gets, he gets some bread, dips it in the wine, and gives. You know, like when a little later on today, you're going to get some chips, and you're going to put it on a, some guacamole, and then you're going to put it in your spouse's mouth. That's what happened. He dipped it and said, hey, hey, here you go, Judah. If it was me. <laughs> a show of intimacy, a show of fellowship, a, an appeal. Can you see your wrong and turn around? Watch the text. It gets really good. Watch the text. Let's read it real quickly from verse 21. Here's what it says. When Jesus had said this, he became troubled in spirit and testified and said, Truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. Here are the 12 boys. He's been hanging with them for three years. One of you going to betray me. I would have been like, who the heck is this? That's what they did too. Take a look. The disciples began looking at one another and at a loss to know of who, of which one he was speaking. Who, who the heck is going to rack Jesus up like that? Next verse. There was reclining on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Next verse. So Peter gestured to him and said to him, tell us who it is of whom he is speaking. No, hey, 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 Jay, 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 go find out from Jesus who he talking about. Which one of us going to write him out? Because it ain't me. I promise you, it ain't me. So who going to write him out? That's the conversation they're having. They're chilling and they're talking. He, leaning back, thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Lord, let me know. Can you imagine? You know what Jesus didn't tell him? Because Peter would have probably killed him himself. He's going to do it a little later on. He's going to say, no, you're not. I'll take him out before he take you out, Jesus. He didn't say anything. Watch the text. It continues. This is the context of the verse. I want you to love each other. Jesus answered, that is the one for whom I shall dip the morsel and give it to him. So when he dipped the morsel, he took it and gave it to, voila, <laughs> Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. So here we go now. Judas is the one that, that, that's revealed. But the disciples don't know. That's because your betrayer is going to be so good that nobody will ever think that they would ever betray you. I could, that's a whole sermon by itself. Next one. After the morsel, Satan entered him into him. By the way, please remember, Satan can only be one place at a time. Which means this deal was so big, he had to be there to go and deceive Judas into ratting Jesus out. Therefore, Jesus said to him, what you do, bro, do it quickly. What you do, do it quickly. Next verse. Here we go. He says, now no one, this is the part that blows my mind. Does it blow yours? Now no one of those reclining at the table, the disciples, knew for what purpose he had said this to Judas. Nobody knew he betrayed them. Nobody knew he was going to do it. So here's what they suggested. They said, well, maybe he went out to get money for the poor people so that we can give money to the poor. Maybe he went out so he can get money to feed us and then anybody else who wanted, who wanted food. They were so deceived by Judas that they knew nothing. They didn't have an inclination that he would be the one that would betray Jesus. Now, let me give you a lesson about your betrayer. Your job is never to find out who your betrayer is. 
You will have too much sideways energy trying to figure out who he is. Your job is to get your Judas, is to let your Judas force you closer to Jesus. You missed it. I say, your job, see, when you care about safety, what you care about is finding out who's going to betray you so you can get them before they get you. That's what you're trying to figure out. Jesus said, no, 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 no. Your job is to make sure that your, your, the, your Judas forces you to trust me more because your Judas can't do nothing unless it first passes through my hand. So if you snuggle up some more to me, then let me worry about the Judas who's trying to betray you. Really, you ought to praise God for your Judas because your Judas is driving you closer to Jesus. And the closer you go to Jesus, the more you're in his will. So you ought to have a praise party for your Judas. But because you can only see short term and because you're driven by fear, you want to figure out who your Judas is and therefore ruin relationships trying to figure out who Judas is because Judas is so good you ain't going to know who he is or she is preach pastor tell somebody up in here pastor because they're trying to figure out who their Judas is right now oh I'm going to find it out I'm going to find it out and no you're living by fear you're not living by love you're living by fear you're driven to figure out who might take you out God said, no, uh uh-uh. The disciples had no clue. For some, we're supposing because Judas had the money box that Judas was saying to him, buy the things we have need of for the feast, or else that he should give something to the poor. Next verse, verse 30. So after receiving the morsel, he went out immediately, and it was, say this word with me, night. One more time. Say it with me. It was night. What's the contrast between light, Jesus, and night? Hey, Pastor Matt, there's a feedback in this deal. Make sure these guys take it out for me. There's a feedback that I'm hearing. Thank you, guys. All right. So, last two verses, 31. Now, he says, therefore, when he had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified and God is glorified in him. Five times the word glorified showed up now. Five times. Watch it. When, when, when Satan comes to do his thing, watch how God gets the glory. When your Judas come to do their thing for you, watch how God gets the glory. Your job is not to figure out the Judas. Your job is to glorify the, your heavenly father who is in heaven. That's your job. Five times. Watch it. Glorified, 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 glorified. Now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. Next verse, last verse. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will, one more time, glorify him immediately. You want to you, you, you show God off, glorify him, then let your Judas do what he does and you press into Jesus. Y'all ain't feeling me? So let me show you. Let me illustrate it. <clears throat> let me illustrate it. This your enemy or the person that hates you? That's your hater right there. That's your hater. And God says, I want you to love your hater. Then this you. Now, let me, just, let me show you the problem in most of Christianity. The problem in Christianity is you got saved, and after you got saved, you say, God, but I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it now. So when God says, I want you to love your enemy or the person you despise, you say, I'm not doing it. That, they don't deserve it. They're not good enough. I can't stand them. You know what they did to me? And if I could, I'd do it right back to them. And then you think you're godly by saying, but I'm not going to do to them what they did to me. And you think that is a godly statement. No, that's just you trying to walk in your spirit, not God's spirit. But because you compare yourself to other other human beings and not to God, you think you're saying something when you don't do back to them when they did to you. That's not what God's calling you to do. He says, I want you, just like when you got saved, to empty yourself. Get rid of who you are so that 
you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. What I want you to do is to be so filled with the Holy Spirit so that over time, what's happening to you is this. You are being spending time in the Word. You're spending time in self-feeding. You're spending time in self-worship. So much so that now when you are glorifying God and hanging out with Him, there is an overflow that all of a sudden start to influence your enemy. But that's not all he said. He said, what I want you actually to do is to realize that you, woman of God, you, man of God, are so dead to who you are, you must hide yourself in who God is so that they don't see you. They only glorify your heavenly Father who is in heaven. This is your life, not you living it by yourself trying to love your enemy. You cannot love your enemy by yourself. You desperately need the Spirit of God. Hide yourself in God so he can do what only he can do. Can I get a witness, one community church? Now, here's the problem. I promise you, you're going to have to apply this this week. I promise you. As God is my witness, one of your haters is going to call you or text you and get on your last nerve. I promise you. And when they do, you know what to do now. Hide yourself in God. Quit listening to everybody else's word and start getting into the word for yourself. Because you always need somebody's word to help you in a moment. When is the last time you got your own word from God? Because you spend time with God so that it is an overflow to your enemies or your Judases. See, some people, Pastor Matt, still don't get it. They don't get it. They're not feeling me yet. So let me help them out. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm just trying to help somebody today. So let's see if we can pull it off for the glory of God. Um, the best way for me to illustrate this is if I highlight for you two animals. Don't put them up yet. There are two animals I want to highlight. The first animal stands at about mm, 20 feet tall. The second animal stands at about mm, 6 inches tall. The two are worlds apart. But what I'm about, I, do, I teach this in leadership conferences all the time, but what I'm about to teach you is going to reveal why you don't walk in the spirit and you walk in fear. I'm going to show you why. Because the first animal is supposed to have a vision that the second animal cannot see. The first animal was built to walk 40 miles in about a good hour because of how they were built. The other one in one hour can only walk maximum half a mile. And yet still, we have one animal depending on the other. Come here, let me show you what I mean. Take a look at this. Here are the two of them. You got one animal that's this tall up here, and you got the other animal that's this tall, about six inches. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with church folk. God's built you to have a vision that's at the level of trees. But you keep hanging out with people that have a vision with the level of grass. That is the reason why. When you go to them and say, yeah, I'm trying to love them. They say, love them for what? Because they don't have the vision. The things of the world is foolish to the people of God. The things of God is foolish to the people of the world. Why? Because God's called you to love your enemy. And they would say, run away from your enemy. That's why you got to watch the popular, I'm just telling you, that's why you got to watch the popular two-minute clips. When they say, oh, yeah, you hanging with the wrong, you got to get out of them, folks. Get out of here. You got to hate your enemy like hey, they hate you. No, you don't. That's not what the Bible says. So here it is. Your assignment then is this, this little turtle right here, when he is looking at his worldview, his worldview is as tall as the grass. He can't see higher than that grass. When you as the believer want to know your worldview, you go to the book. The book has a vision like the turtle can never see. Now, here's the worst part. When the giraffe wants affirmation, you don't go to no turtle for no affirmation. You don't go to the turtle to evaluate the opportunity that you have. 
You don't go to the turtle because they can't see what you were built to see. It is pathetic to see the giraffe getting all the way down here talking about, hey, turtle, what you think, turtle? Hey, turtle, hey, turtle, do you think I'm good, turtle? Hey, turtle, am I good today? Did I do good today, turtle? What the heck you doing talking to those turtles? Can I get a witness somebody up in here? Jesus, get up off of the ground and stop talking to turtles. Look at it. Here's what it looks like. This is how you look crazy. Look at this picture right here. It looks like this. It looks like the giraffe reaching his neck down to talk to. I said, what you doing down here, bro? Christians, why are you asking people who say they're Christians but living like turtles? That's why your community group is so important. But if your community group have Christians who going to co-sign on what the devil is telling you to do, then you got some Christians who are perpetrating. They're just acting like giraffes, but they're really turtles because they can't see the vision God has for you. We got a generation of believers that are still living by fear and not by love. And God's called us to a much higher level than that. You don't get to, okay, okay, you're not feeling it. Um, um, the heart, the heart of the, of the turtle is about this big. The heart of a human being is about 12 to 16 ounces. The heart of the giraffe is 25 pounds. So then, when the giraffe has to get moving, it has to have a heart that can pump that much blood all the way up to the top of the neck and the bottom of that giraffe's feet. And if the heart doesn't pump that blood, then it doesn't get to go where it goes. And it can't seize opportunities that are unique for the giraffe to do. So when you go and you talk to a turtle who have the heart of a thumb, and ask the turtle, hey, should I go down there? The turtle will be like, that's out of my worldview. I can't even consider how I'm going to get five miles down the road. That's going to take me two weeks. So the turtle's going to give you advice based on who the turtle is and what the turtle can see. Don't go to turtles. You must go to another giraffe that has the heart because it's all about the heart. It is the heart that tells. The turtle is going to say, it's too far. It's too hard. I can't go that far. It wasn't built to go that far. It doesn't have, Christians, the Holy Spirit that will take it to a whole nother level. So the lesson is, quit hanging out with turtles who cannot see and see a vision at the level that God has called you to live. But I know what some of you are saying. Some of you, I know what you're saying. I, 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 I know, I know. Pastor, if you knew the food I was dealing with, I know. I know that's what some of you If you knew the food I was dealing with, you would say it's okay. That's a good exception. You would say, okay, okay, I get it. I get it. You're right. Ooh, I didn't think about that. Ooh, you're right. You, ooh. That's what you say. But I would say you're wrong again. I would say you don't know your God. You might have a miracle that you're missing, all because your God has not been engaged. My goal is to let you see the vastness of your God and the smallness of your situation. The reason your situation looks so lo looms so large and you're so, oh my gosh, I can't think about it, is because your God is too small. So I've got to now increase the vision of your God so that you can see how really small your situation is. Hey, Daniel, come here, boy. Come here, boy. Daniel, Daniel, Daniel. Come, 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 come. <clears throat> For the normal person, turtle, you don't go into a lion's den. You just don't. Why would you ever want to go into a lion's den? But for giraffes, who was built by faith to do the impossible, you can walk into a lion's den. And here's what you do when you walk in. God, if it's my time, it's my time. But if it's not, I can't wait to see what you're finna do. 
And so for the whole, so, so for the whole night, they were chilling with some lions. And then the king got up the next day, ran to see if they had died. The turtle. The one who the world thought was the giraffe was really a turtle because of his worldview. The one who everybody thought was a turtle was really a giraffe. So when he woke up to go see, he says, oh my God, y'all are still alive? That means whatever God you serve, I need vision like your God has. So will you introduce me to your God? Because I need to know him. I wonder who, who is waiting to, to know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, but they have to first go through you dealing with the person that you hate. I wonder who not in heaven yet because you still disobedient. I wonder who, who, who is dying to get a front row seat to see the king of kings show out. But he can't because you still want to write that person off and say, I hate their guts and I hope they would die tomorrow. And all God is saying, will you show the world what love looks like? Now, some of you be like, Pastor, I'm just telling you, you don't know who it is. You don't know who it is. I mean, you don't know, you don't know what they did. You don't know what they did. You don't know who it is. And again, I'm not saying you need to go into some foolish situation. Here's what I am saying. You need to trust the great God. That if you change your mind and say, God, show me how to love, show me what it means to love my enemy in this situation, then everything will change. So let me leave you with one passage, and then I'm gone home for the day. Let me leave you with one passage that should blow every circuit in your brain. The passage I'm going to read tells you who God is. You must meditate on this one all the time. Like, like, like once a week, you should come back to this passage. One of my favorite passages to preach and one of my favorite passages of all time. He's going to reveal who God is. It's Moses that's writing this psalm, and he's going to reveal who God is. He tells you four things about God. First of all, he tells you he's El Elyon. Secondly, he tells you not only am I El Elyon, I'm also El Shaddai. Thirdly, he says, not only am I that, I'm also Yahweh. And then fourthly, he says, I'm Elohim. Let me tell you what the four words mean, then I'll read it, and then we're on our way home. Number one, he says, I, I am the El Elyon, the, El El, the one who possesses all. That means everything you need, he possesses it. Then he says, I'm number two, the El Shaddai. Whatever your hater wants to do to you, I am the one that provides everything you need to counteract what they want to do to you. Then I am the Yahweh, the, 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 the covenant-keeping God, the God that says, I will keep my promises toward you and nobody that wants to touch you can touch you unless I approve and allow it. And then the last one is Elohim. And all that means is I have the power to shut any dart that comes after you. I have the power to swat it down because of who I am. See, the problem with Christians is you don't know the God that you say you serve. You think you serve a little manipulative God that when you pray, then he give you what you want. That's not who he is. Watch the text. No, Psalm 91. Come here, let me show you. Psalm 91. Here's what the text says. Psalm 91 says this. He, read it with me, everybody. He who dwells. Ooh, stop right there. Oh, God, I could stay all day on this. He who dwells, that means you're staying there. You, you enjoy his presence there. You, you enjoy hanging out and tabernacling with him. He who dwells. Let me explain what that means. You can have two people that come to church. One that comes to church and one that dwells with God. God will meet you where you're dwelling with him. There are two people that come and, come and worship God. Yeah, God. One is worshiping in the location of one community. One in the same place. One's there, but he is actually in the presence. There are two things that happened. One was worshiping God. The other one is his, was in his presence. Here's what he says. When you are dwelling, or latter verse, when you abide in me. There's special things that are associated with dwelling and abiding. He who dwells in the shelter of the El Elyon, the one who possesses all, will abide in the shelter of the Most High, the El Shaddai, the one who provides it all. Next verse. He then says, I will say to the Lord, that is Yahweh, the one who is the covenant-keeping God that will keep his promises, and he has never let a promise go without fulfilling it. He says, my refuge and my fortress. In other words, ain't nobody can 
can touch me unless he allows it. And if he allows it, he's allowing it for his glory. So therefore he wins and I win if it's for his glory. Because my job is to show off the goodness of God. So he says, he is the covenant keeping God, my refuge and fortress. Then he says, my Elohim, my God, the one who has all power. Listen now, that's the one in whom I, say this word, that's the one in whom I, that's the one in whom I, you don't know your God. That's why you let some other fool get you to walk out of the spirit instead of walking in the spirit. Because when you know your God, the righteous has never been forsaken. Never been forsaken. Because he loves the righteous. Your assignment then is to dwell and abide in God. Then trust in him and let your family see you building a house based on love not based on the turtles philosophy of life which is fear rise up oh christians and not look like these turtles down here who don't have a god so they gotta they gotta make all the power they can get because they don't have yahweh fighting their battles for them if you're a born-again believer that loved Jesus, I want to stand to your feet and I want to oh, you to, right now, I want you to open your hands and I want you to say, God, this person right here, today I'm serving notice on the enemy and them. I will love my enemies no matter what. It might just be something mental that you have to have where you're going to say, God, I will not write them off anymore. I will not. I will not. I will not. Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can think good thoughts of them even though their behavior has been bad. Help me in my mind to pray for them more than I've ever prayed for them before. Not that they get well, but primarily that the way I view them will be through your eyes and not through mine. Will you ask God right now in the name of Jesus, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to do it, and just pray and say, God, will you change my heart? Will you change my mind toward these enemies that I have? And will you help me to love them like you love them in the name of Jesus? You have 30 seconds. You and God, this is your application time. Father God, I just pray. Come on, everybody. I want you to do it. Come on, say it out loud to your heavenly Father. Help me, God. Help me. Not, not nobody around me. Just me. Love the people. They don't deserve that control over my life, God. They don't. They don't. They don't. They don't deserve that control over anybody's life anymore. Release them. One community, release the person. Come on, in the name of Jesus. No matter how egregious, release them. Release them. And then ask God to help you to love them like he loves you. Teach us, God. Agape love. The one that keeps pursuing in the midst of the pain. Will he teach us? Will he teach each one of us how to love like only you can? In Jesus' mercy. Come on, five more seconds, family. Five more seconds. Come on. Just you and Jesus, call the person's name out loud unless they, unless they sit beside you like this. Heavenly Father, will you raise up a generation of Christ followers that hide themselves in you? Will you raise up a generation of people that want to pursue loving one another because of this new commandment that you've given us? Not with our love, but with agape love. Love where the other person's behavior is secondary and our behavior before you is primary. Will you teach us how to do that? I know we've never seen it. I know we have a, a, a low tolerance for pain. But will you teach us how to do that? And when you do, will you get all the glory? And will you make it for our good? I pray that nobody in here goes to seek out who the Judas is. But I pray that we will run toward you so that our intimacy with you is so red hot and fire that what we care about is your glory and our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Everybody say Come on, put, come on, let's celebrate the freedom. Come on, celebrate your freedom. Celebrate it, celebrate it, celebrate it fast. Come on, come on, come on. Don't stop yet, celebrate it, celebrate it. He's been that good. He's been that good.